Hello everyone and welcome to the Slash Filmcast, the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. I'm David Chen and with me are... Devendra Hardware, Jeff Kanata. And Christy Pechko. Welcome to the show everyone. What we're going to do here on this podcast today is we're going to talk about some what we've been watching action. We're going to get into a Slash Film Court segment where we adjudicate your film related dilemmas. And then we're going to conclude with an in-depth review. This week we'll be talking about Deadpool 2. So that's what's on tap today. Find more episodes of this podcast at SlashFilmCast.com. Email us at SlashFilmCast at gmail.com. Before we get started, congratulations are in order. Devinder Hardwar, you announced this week on the Twitters and the Facebooks that uh, you and your wife are expecting. Is that right? Yes. Woo! Woo! It's, it's, it's exciting. I watched Tully uh, Extra Afraid. Basically, the, the twist with that whole review was like, yeah, Jeff, I felt the same way you were, at least the, just more impending dread because you knew what it was. I'm I'm looking forward to it now. That's funny because like after you and I saw Telly, I was just like, man, I super don't want kids. And yep. I had no idea. <laughs> Devendra was sitting on secrets. It's well, exciting. <laughs> you're like anyone who has kids. It would be a complete moron. <laughs> you say that to Devendra, and then little did I mean, you know, to be you're fair. I say that just day to day, but that's, <laughs> that's just okay. who I am as a person. I also know many people who like refuse to even you know ponder the idea of having kids too. So I'm like, I'm used to having to thinking about that as well. But I'm very excited. This will be a lot of fun and well, uh, insane. Yeah, Devendra, having having met and spent a little bit of time with your wife, uh, you are like me. You you really uh, are punching above your weight class uh, yeah, when it comes definitely. to. Come, come I'm just here for spouse. support, basically. Yeah. So you guys are going to be great. I mean, she's amazing. You're you're amazing. You're going to have uh, a wild ride, but man, it, you're going to be great parents. I'm so oh, happy thanks, for Jeff. you guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's going to be awesome, Divindra. Uh, I I can't wait to see how fatherhood transforms both you and the podcast. Uh, oh, it could be the end of the podcast. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think it's it's very likely this is a completely unsustainable. It's already like I was watching the trailer for uh, what was that new movie? The one that was at Sundance, I think, with Nick Offerman. He's like starting oh, a band with his daughter. It's like something. The heart goes beat or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Goes. yeah. And uh, I, I felt like I was tearing up just watching that trailer wow. because it's it's just that story. So yeah, it's it's happening. It's, it's already, already happening. happening. I love this. It's I'm on already board. happening. I think this is yeah. great. For the, to be clear, I'm totally cool with other people having kids. Just me personally, I think it's a terrible plan. Oh, yeah. Most definitely. You'll be the cool aunt. Estate. <laughs> I like that you're like, I agree. You should not have kids. <laughs> <laughs> well, I also, I am also fine with people not having kids. We got an email yeah. a couple of weeks ago after the Tully review, and it was like, Jeff doesn't think people should not have kids. I'm like, no, I, I'm all for people not having kids. In fact, <laughs> your life will be amazing if you don't have kids. Uh, but, uh, yeah. No, I, yeah. Well, no, yeah. Just, I get it. It's You did that thing where, like, people who really love having children do that thing my mom does to me still, where she's like, you say that now. And I'm like, we're getting to the point where if I'm going to have them, like, I should get on it. But cool. <laughs> but, no, I get it. You're enthusiastic. Well, you, yeah. you know, Tully is a great thing to watch, Devendra, before you have kids. You know what another great thing is? Is on my what we've been watching list that I <laughs> d- didn't add to the uh, didn't add to the spreadsheet today. Uh, I actually had a chance to watch Ali Wong's new special, Hard Knock Wife. Have you heard oh, of this? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So Ali Wong um, released a special a couple years ago called Baby Cobra that kind of single-handedly launched her out of obscurity. She, she's already had a, a very uh, good uh, career in show business before then, but, I mean, yeah. n- not everyone knew who she was. Now everyone knows who she is, and that's something that she talks about in the new special. But in the new I special... Told you I, I yeah. told you we watched uh, Baby Cobra literally in the hospital waiting for our first child to be born. My, mm. my wife and I watched that 
lying t- together side by side on the hospital bed waiting for a labor to begin. Nice. I, I think she had not yet had her first child in that. Um, yeah, yeah, she's, she's pregnant. Like very pregnant. Yeah, it. she's very pregnant. And this one, she's also very pregnant again. But this second is her time, second yeah. child. And she's already it's had kind the of first. her gimmick now. I yeah. guess. <laughs> Every <laughs> yeah. time she's pregnant, she's yeah. going to have a new special. It's going to be great. Yeah. Uh, and it's uh, it's very, very amusing. Uh, and I'd highly recommend it. And she talks in graphic detail, uh, not just about sex, which she did in the first one, but also about uh, the physical challenges of having a child. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, definitely something that might be enjoyable to watch if you want to laugh at all the uh, you know crazy stuff that's going to go down after you have a kid. But I find her to be uh, very delightful and very raunchy and uh, a very valuable presence in the uh, Netflix comedy lineup. So can I, I highly can I recommend. something, Dave? Yep. I, I, didn't, I didn't know you were going to bring this up, but Literally last night, um, my mom is in town just visiting, uh, checking out our, our new baby and helping out around the house. And I do uh, my video game podcast DLC uh, last night on Sunday nights. And so my wife and my mom uh, were just by themselves hanging out after I was in, the, in my office doing my podcast. And they decided to watch that special together. And as I finished my podcast and wa- walking out – they were they had bonded my wife was like it is so everything is so true she's like telling the truth it was uh <laughs> yeah she big big fans of of that and they especially as women who have given birth were like thank god somebody is she said it's like every single thing she says is uh is like describing our lives mm. i was like that's a little scary based on what i know of ali wong <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, pretty much, uh, pretty much. But uh, anyway, it's good to hear that Ali Wong's new special, Hard Knock Wife, gets a thumbs up from Jeff Kanata's wife, yes? Yeah, for uh, sure. So uh, Hard Knock Wife is on Netflix right now, and uh, you should check it out. It's very funny, and uh, I, I would not watch it with anyone's parents myself. You know, I'm not not it, as brave as yeah. uh, Aaron is. but I, I tried watching the first one with my parents, and that was an experience. Ter- terrible <laughs> idea. Terrible yeah, lots, of butt, lots of butt stuff in that. You know what lots I would recommend stuff. that's actually really good? I think uh, if you want to watch stand-up comedy with your parents, is Kid Gorgeous. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. That's delightful. Yeah. yeah, that's very, very clean, wholesome humor right there. Uh, so th- yeah, that's another thing I've also recently watched, and it sounds like you have as well, Christy. You recommend that one? Yeah, I was screaming. I was laughing so hard at that one. There's particularly one bit where he talks about uh, he's like, I was talking to my mom, and I asked her if she'd ever seen a ghost because I'm 35 and she doesn't under uh, I'm I'm 35. <laughs> I don't have children, and she doesn't understand my job. And I was like, Hey, hey, John Mulaney, back out my life. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's really it's a really funny special. He builds to such great points and like he makes this really brilliant analogy about uh, the Trump White House that I think is pretty stellar. And it's just a very sharp. If you saw him on SNL, you saw part of the special because he does that as the opening. Um, but it was just it's a really neat act and very funny and uh, just very self-deprecating without getting like too navel gazy. I, I just thought it was really brilliant. I thought it was pretty David. good. I, I didn't like it as much as some of his previous ones, but uh, I thought it was uh, it was solid, and I, I feel good recommending it. Uh, Jeff, what were you mm-hmm. going to say? I was going to ask you if you had had a chance to see any James Acaster's. I here. haven't had a chance to see James Acaster, but we've gotten so many tweets and emails from people saying, "Hey, I'm so glad Jeff Kanata recommended J- James Acaster's uh, repertory or what it, whatever it was." Yeah, uh, repertory on, yeah. on Netflix. Yeah, I, I am still definitely going to watch it. So looking forward to that. Um, but yeah, the other special is uh, John Mulaney's Kid Gorgeous at Radio City, also on Netflix. You can check it out there. 
And speaking of Netflix and what we've been watching, uh, I want to talk about this other thing I've been watching called Evil Genius, the true story of America's most diabolical bank heist, which is a four-part miniseries that hit Netflix recently. And, uh, okay, so what this is about is a story. uh, It's based on a true story, of course, a documentary about a true story in which a man walked into a bank wearing a bomb around his neck. And basically, like, the bomb was apparently clipped around his neck, and and the people who clipped the bomb around his neck forced this man to rob the bank. Um, And there's a lot of questions about whether the man was in on it or not, or whether he was actually... Uh, his life was in danger and he was trying to survive. Uh, and so it's a really fascinating story, uh, this this pizza bomber case that, that has made a lot of headlines. And there's a lot of footage about that day from that bank robbery in this documentary, Evil Genius. But overall, I thought this is probably one of the worst made documentaries I've seen on Netflix. And I've seen quite a, quite a number of documentaries on Netflix. <laughs> I think there's, there's a lot of problems, but I think the biggest one <laughs> is the tone. Uh, which there was recently an onion uh, podcast that was released called a very fatal murder, which was a parody of true crime uh, documentaries and true crime uh, podcasts like serial serial is like who it takes most aim at. And whereas American vandal kind of took the format of true crime and, and kind of spun it off into its own thing to create like a, a very unique and interesting work about journalism in its own right, a Peabody award-winning work mm-hmm. in its own right. That's American Vandal, right? Uh, a Very Fatal Murder is just straight-up disdain for like the NPR audience, Serial, the people who created <laughs> it. It is just like vicious, like ripping into them. And uh, I thought it was very entertaining but watching Evil Genius after listening to A Very Fatal Murder is like watching, you know, walk the line after watching Walk Hard. It, it, you cannot take it. It's very difficult to take it seriously uh, if you've seen a really spot-on parody of it. Like the self-serious uh, journalist figure who is going – like seemingly obsessed with this case to an unhealthy degree – uh, it, it just like tonally, it's ridiculous, and also yeah. I just don't think it's particularly shot that well. But I know a lot of people uh, like th- what I mean by that is it goes back to the same shots over and over again to tell yeah. the story that has like a lot of visual variety, th- uh, theoretically a lot of visual variety. Um, certainly, after a, a documentary series like Wild Wild Country, which uh, while it had many flaws, uh, was really beautifully put together in my opinion. I mean, this is just really lacking uh, in my right. opinion. So. Uh, those are my thoughts on Evil Genius, but I know Devendra's seen a couple episodes. Christy, you've watched the whole thing. I've I've actually read I a bunch it of twice. I've read a bunch of the stuff at Pajiba about this. So oh, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, yeah, your overall thoughts on Evil Genius? Well, see, I'm kind of a sucker for these kind of shows, and this case is really interesting to me because, like, I'm from Pennsylvania, so I had heard a lot about the collar bombing case. And I don't know if you guys remember, but 30 Minutes or Less was a movie yep, that came yeah. out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like. Those people claim that it's not based on this case, <laughs> which is lies. There is yeah. just no way you can watch that movie and not see the similarities to the real case. But whatever. But um, the collar bombing case is really interesting because at the end of the day, it's kind of like, did Brian Wells, who was the guy with the collar bomb, did he he was he a part of it? Did he know what was going on? And I thought Evil Genius was interesting, though. I feel like it still doesn't want to answer that question because I feel like it realizes how kind of tricky it is to a- answer that because legally 
it gets into all this stuff about if Brian Wells was complicit, then like you can't charge the people who did it for his death because he was part of it. It's very complicated and weird. But the thing I didn't like about it, I like a lot about it. I think it's an interesting story. But as you pointed out, it's also about the filmmakers like obsession with the case. But he doesn't want to be a part of the movie. And I found that kind of disingenuous because what so much of that miniseries is about is him and Marjorie Deal's like weird friendship and how he got her to talk. But then like, we don't know why he was obsessed with this case. We don't know who he is. Like I was trying to kind of find words to describe him. And I'm like, I don't know the documentarian, but like, if you think of like the jinx or serial, you understand who the person yes. who is spending all this time with the mm-hmm. killer or could be killer is. And I felt like evil genius needed that context so we could understand who Marjorie Deal Armstrong is because we need to understand who she is through his eyes to be able to filter out what's going on. It, it is the most insane decision I've seen in a documentary in quite some time. It would be <laughs> this is a, this is not the greatest example, but like th- think of like the magnitude of what I'm saying is like imagine if Super Size Me didn't introduce Morgan Spurlock until halfway through. Like right. it, it's like oh, you you think to yourself well that's impossible that doesn't make any sense that's exactly how I feel watching this film right like right because they it, tease it at the start like that it's about Marjorie and they mm-hmm. tease about how he has this relationship with her but then they don't get back to that until like halfway through the second episode it, it it's is just, so bizarre it's like right. the most yeah. ridiculous like editorial decision I've I've seen in a in a documentary in quite some time um, so agree completely with you Christy Devendra any thoughts two episodes in. I mean, yeah, two episodes in, uh, I think I've learned that this like genre is just not for me to, to, <laughs> to a certain degree. Like, I really enjoyed American Vandal and kind of like how it ripped it apart uh, because I was I was sitting here through the hype around uh, making a murderer and I, I slogged through five episodes of that show and I I just couldn't care less. Like it was, I could see what was interesting about it, but you I also heartless. felt like I was torturing myself <laughs> watching. So no, shame, no shame in realizing yeah. what you're not into, you know? No right. Yeah. yeah. So there's that. I like cereal. That that was like a fun journey that I think we all took together. Making a murderer just didn't quite do it for me. This I feel is a little more, like it's a little more straightforward. Like it's more co- directly compelling, I think. Uh, but I agree with you on the tone things. Like there's a there's a point where you see somebody explode yeah. in this uh, thing, and there is a splat sound effect. And I didn't catch like, that. I, I think I th- there's a weird sound effect. You're, you're, just like, you know, Andrea, you were the second person moment. to bring that up to me today. Someone yeah. direct messaged me on Twitter That's today fine. and they said, hey, um, I heard this splat sound effect during Why like, would this you do explosion. That? And it's the most ridiculous thing. Yeah, so hey, I don't think it's just, guys. Yeah, it, yeah. Not to not to spoil anything, but it works for Deadpool, too. <laughs> <laughs> it does. It yeah. does. It, 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 so it sounds like you're not really into this genre as a whole, but I mean, no, I think this is a this really... This is fine. Like, I will finish it, basically. This is a really rough entry into the genre, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And also, I, like, I think Dustin at Pajaba wrote this great article about why, like, all this stuff that the documentary leaves out as well. Out, yeah. you know? mm-hmm. So it ju- it just is... I, I felt like, yeah, I, I, this really tried my patience, and I felt like... Uh, disrespected as a viewer um, when I watch this. (laughs) So uh, not a fan, but I know a lot of people uh, are checking it out. And it it is a really interesting case. I just don't think this documentary does it honor, in my opinion. Christy, any closing thoughts before we move on? 
No, I think you really summed it up. I, I've told people it's a must-see if you're a, crime, a true crime fan because it is a case that is very fascinating. But if you don't like the way the storytelling is going, I can also recommend the podcast Case File. They did a really good summation of a lot of this information. Okay, I'll definitely check that out. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it felt like... Errol Morris, this is not, you know what I mean? Like, it's just yeah. not, uh, just, just doesn't have yeah. even, like, the st- stylistically, it doesn't even have the chops no, as, not uh, at all. as a decent I, true crime documentary, so. Yeah, yeah, the story is interesting, but it's like I said, it's like, it feels like there's a big piece missing. Agreed, agreed. Uh, okay, well, you that's... You guys think it would have been better with, the, like, a slow trombone sound effect? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, right. Honestly, yeah. it really bothers me that they show the footage of the explosion. Like, I know they yeah. say they blurred it. Yeah. It's still very traumatizing. Yeah, I would say they it's, cut it's to black or something, yeah. It's in the first, yeah, like, few minutes. I don't think you needed to see that. This, this is in the first few minutes of the of No, it's the, the second episode. No, I think... I'm it's pretty in, sure you see in the first It's in one. the first. Yeah, yeah, it's in the first episode, is so... It? I know yep. they tease it in the first, but I thought they'd... Okay, it's pardon yeah. me. It's crazy. It's been a yeah. It. yeah. So, anyway, that's Evil Genius. It's on Netflix. Uh, I didn't like it at all. All right. Um, <laughs> Evan, your heart, what have you watched this week? Uh, I saw this movie called Office, and uh, it's a 25... Uh, it's a 2015 film directed by Johnny Toe. This guy, you know, Chinese director, best known for, like, gangster films and action films. This movie is a it's a musical it's kind of a dance musical uh about corporate work uh in china around the like uh financial crisis so in 2008 and uh it's just i i was kind of intrigued by the premise of what this film is about and i also saw uh it is it's based on a play or i think like a musical that uh sylvia chang the actress did and she's also starring in this movie uh she wrote the film um it has a great cast and also chatty and fats in this too as a sort of like the head of this company uh right about is there going to go ipo uh you know it's a it's a big bombastic musical about um capitalism and you know the state of overwork and just living through the corporate drudgery of modern life um it's a really interesting film uh and it's fascinating too because johnny toe this is a guy known for like you know big gigantic set pieces um this is a movie filmed entirely on one set it seems it's kind of minimalist they can change it around for different scenes so it feels a lot like a stage play and you kind of have to, you know, believe in the artifice of that whole thing, because um, like there'll there'll be like a storm, a monsoon or something, and it's clearly on a stage. Um, really beautiful design, uh, well acting. I thought it was just, yeah, a an interesting look at a crazy life right now, crazy corporate life, and also really strange to see Johnny Toad doing something like this. This is a strange movie. Um, I don't think it's widely available. You may have to like import a DVD or something. How did you I watch saw it, the Met- Yeah, I saw it at the Metrograph Theater here in New York because oh, nice. Sylvia Chang was here uh, showing off her new movie, um, Love. Was it Love Edition? Love Education. So she was there premiering that and they showed off this. This movie was actually supposed to be in 3D as well. So just the idea of like a 3D Johnny Toe musical with Chow Yun Fat <laughs> just really got me in there. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, the 3D wasn't working like by the time they were ready to screen it. Um, but the film itself is really interesting and just really you know fascinating to see this guy kind of play outside of his uh, typical genre. Uh, on, when I look this up on Amazon right now, the movie Office directed by Johnny Toe, there is apparently one copy available on Blu-ray. Yep. Uh, so yeah, this is like a Yes Asia purchase, basically. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, I remember, yeah, when I had to import a lot of movies. This is not widely available. I think it would do really well on Netflix or something like that, though. Yeah. YesAsia.com, by the way, is where Devendra and I bought a lot of uh, Asian movies when we were yeah. at least when I was in college. I used to use that site all the time. 
Um, but uh, the movie's Office. It's by Johnny Toe. It sounds like you recommend it, right, Devendra? Yeah, it's it's really fascinating and just a lot of fun too. Jeff Kanata, hit us with what you've been watching. Well, lots of TV. In fact, um, I you know wasn't on the show last week, but last week was a flurry of news about shows that were picked up and canceled and what was making it, what was getting a new season and what wasn't. And one of the shows that regular listeners will have heard me talk about numerous times, uh, Last Man on Earth, Will Forte's uh, show about uh, that very thing, being the last man on Earth, and then the the wacky things that happen. Uh, Sounds like it is not coming back. And I wanted to mention it again, I guess, for the last time. Uh, Although, Mm. I think it's an interesting topic to maybe discuss a little bit about all of these weird second chances that shows are getting. It's... yeah. It's a strange thing that that now uh, a show can kind of live on multiple networks and uh, one network will cancel something and then another network or another streaming service, for example, will swoop in and pick it up Mm -hmm. and give it new life. I mean, we heard it's happened before, but I think like so you're specifically referring to Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which was canceled amongst this whole batch. And then a couple days later, NBC picked it up. And it sounds like yeah. The Expanse might be another one that might be yep. getting second life through Amazon. Nice, so it yeah. feels like this is this weird thing that everybody kind of holds their breath for their favorite shows that mm-hmm. have been canceled to see if this is going to happen or not happen. Um, Last Man on Earth, it hasn't been announced yet, but I'm still crossing my fingers a little bit. Uh, Last Man, though, is another one, another example of this. It's like just switching networks instead of being canceled. Mm-hmm. It's a strange place to be in where these things yeah. are you know you have this potential of uh, of a show just moving rather than being uh, eliminated because there's so many platforms for content now like this happened to scrubs back in the day and uh, right. oh, you know, yeah, we joke yeah. about when scrubs went to abc and it was not good after that uh futurama same deal like after the fox cancellation and everything so this has happened before but it seems like it's happening a lot now just because I think a lot of these platforms are just hungry for content too. Like yeah. most of us stuff we're just seeing on Netflix are just like, they just have to release a movie, something with moving pictures and actors you <laughs> recognize. It doesn't have to be good. They just mm-hmm. need something for people to click play on. Well, so, and any, yeah. any built in audience at all is, right. is a benefit. Even if it's not big enough audience to sustain life on a major network anymore, it's still exactly. an right. audience. And it seems like places like Hulu and Netflix might have the advantage there because they can already tell how big the audience is based mm-hmm. on how many people are streaming the episode. Right. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, last man on earth, uh, is, a, really a delightful show that I have enjoyed over many seasons. When it first premiered, it felt like a show that was going to be canceled immediately. And the fact that it had, what, I guess three seasons? Um, is, four seasons. Is prob- four? Is it four? Uh, yeah. Even better. Uh, good the, yeah. The, yeah, the fact that it even got that, I think, it beat the odds as far as I'm concerned. It felt so quirky and so smart and so different. And it kept that- transforming. Like, it's such yes. a bummer that where we're at now in this plot, this plot has gotten so damn interesting. And, ugh. Yeah, it's, it's I've never seen a show that literally every season they're in a completely new location with completely new dynamics between the characters. Really smart. It's one of those shows that I, I don't I can't imagine anybody just like tuning into Fox on a, on a on the night that it's on and understanding what the hell is going on at all, because it is very sequential storytelling. But maybe that's what worked against it. And like you're saying, Christy, where we got in this last season, it ends with a cliffhanger. It's such a mm-hmm. crime that we're not going to even see. 
where it goes, but it's consistently been a show that's that's kind of derived its humor from positivity and warmth among its among its characters rather than people sniping at each other, mm-hmm. it, 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 which I really admire. And I don't know. I, it's a sad to see it leave TV landscape if, in fact, it, it is leaving. I, I'm still holding out a bit of hope that we'll see a last-minute savior come in. But mm-hmm. I guess it seems like an expensive show. Even though it's like so thread threadbare, sometimes they do things that seem like they could be expensive. Yeah, um, the set keeps moving, and yeah. I mean, I could see where there would be expensive challenges yeah. to it. But uh, and I'm I mean, sure, the guest like, stars—it's just like randomly, like yeah. here's Will Ferrell, here's Kristen Wiig, like it—you know—it's yeah. so great. Uh, and also, shout out to Brooklyn Nine Nine, by the way. Like, if you are not watching that show, wh- what are you doing with your life? You <laughs> you need to be watching Brooklyn Nine Nine. Obviously, uh, the nothing world, of importance. Nothing of importance. The world is a hellfire. And Brooklyn Nine-Nine, <laughs> you know, and, and The Good Place, another Michael uh, Schur show, right? Um, both, like, are, are just these, like, pure founts of joy. You should you should be watching them. I recently watched all of season one of The Good Place oh, and, yeah. and loved it and could not believe where it, that season yep. ends up. I haven't started yep. season two yet, so don't spoil like anything. I season two even better. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. That's all so I'll say, but I love The Good Place. The good And The Good Place, like Devinder said, it's totally something to watch if you've had like a rough day. Like The Good Place makes you feel like there's hope. Like yeah. if, if these screwballs can about find hope. trying to be better. Humans. Yeah. It's, it's exactly. a show that it took me a few episodes to really fall in love with, but once I did, I, I trucked through the whole first season and I'm excited for second season. But yeah, a delightful show that doesn't feel like anything else out there. It, it, it has its own whimsical... Uh, sensibility and th- you know and uh, um, sort of a stylized universe that's really fun, right. um, but none of those, in my opinion, compare to my favorite half-hour comedy on television right now, which is The Detour. I've talked about The Detour several times before. I adore this show. It is crazy and over the top and wild, and another show that reinvents itself every season. I just finished watching season three, which is on TBS. Does do people watch TBS? I hope so because this sure. show feels like it's kind of languishing in in uh, you know on TBS in anonymity. <laughs> but uh, but it did get picked up for a season four, which is very very cool because it also ends on on kind of a cliffhanger. The Detour is the perfect show to binge because their seasons are structured where. Every episode sort of starts with a flash forward and then they flash back for the meat of the episode. And so you get this wonderful through line in two timelines of like the present day and the and the and the story that they're telling that that happened earlier. And the way those things play against each other and mess with your expectations is so smart and so fun. Um, I highly, highly recommend people checking out the detour so season three just finished. I'm sure it'll end up on streaming services, but I think TBS also has an app. Uh, that is probably terrible. <laughs> All right, that's that's the detour season three, uh, and in addition to Last Man on Earth, that's what Jeff's been watching. Jeff, we also were hoping to get you on to the podcast last week to talk about Barry. You couldn't make it, but sounds like you did yes. finish the season, right? I did. Uh, I have yet, unfortunately, to listen to your uh, in-depth commentary about it. Uh, I'm looking forward to listening to you guys discuss it. I wish I could have participated. But, man, I loved Barry. I just thought that show. Mm -hmm. Wow, it starts out in a place that seems really silly, kind of, and just gets deeper and rawer and more intense and more about something real in every episode and ends with this crescendo. It is... 
it is a really amazing piece of art, I think, uh, that's kind of living in this weird format that doesn't even fit the the tone. It is, it's a strange mix of uh, really daring black humor, you know, dark humor, and uh, and serious drama. Uh, that those tones you can't always pull off uh, together like that, but this show does. And I have a particular. Um, you know, affection for it as somebody that moved to LA to be an actor and uh, have lived through those exact uh, acting classes. I mean, there is very, very little exaggeration in that show. You think <laughs> you think that it's over the top and wacky, and I have done ninety nine point nine percent of the things in that show. I have met people exactly like those people. Uh, it is uh, it's it's spot on, and I think actually makes a a really interesting uh, observation. Uh, about the idea that, uh, you know, the two professions where you sort of have to kill yourself inside in order to uh, <laughs> uh, do them well are, you know, being an actor and being a hitman. <laughs> it's a pretty uh, astute observation. Very little difference between those two professions. Yeah. But it, 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 is an, it is an amazing show on a lot of levels. I think, like, the last episode is crazy. It feels like there's an entire second season done in, like, 20 minutes at the end of the last episode. Yeah. Um, th- there's... There is a, I think, episode two or three. There is the most amazing illustration of Me Too, the Me Too movement, uh, just kind of presented without comment, and so exquisitely expressed. I think of what women, especially in in Hollywood, have to deal with. It is a really amazing show that I, the, the first episode I watched, I was like, oh, I don't know, this is gonna, this kind of feels like it's making fun of this thing. I don't know, this feels weird. But man, does it get really, really good! And it, it it shows Bill Hader to be, I think, a creator and a performer of real depth. And as much as I admired him previously, I don't know if I would have categorized him that way mm-hmm. before this. And it's it's a real, I think, progression in in what can be a a standout career from this. Agreed, agreed. That's HBO's yeah. Barry, and you can check it out on HBO Now or HBO Go. Uh, yeah. It's it's really good. I'd recommend it. I, I agree. The first few episodes were like, eh, I don't know about this, but then it really got pretty brilliant by the end. So, yeah. Christy, you checked out Barry uh, yet? Or I haven't seen it yet. I have to borrow someone's HBO login and catch up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, well, that's Barry, and that's what Jeff's been watching. Christy, you've been watching a couple things, right? I have. I've been catching up on Killing Eve because it was one of those shows that everyone's like, you're watching Killing Eve, right? Yeah. And uh, my response was, what channel is that on? I don't have that. Um, But I caved this weekend and I bought it on iTunes. So I am almost caught up. Uh, But uh, being or (laughs) Killing Eve, Being Eve is a New Zealand YA show that my friend was on ages ago. But sorry, Killing Eve is on BBC America. And it is uh, Sandra Oh plays a woman who works for the British government and she thinks that she has uncovered a uh, series of killings that she believes are all related to an assassin that they don't know the identity of yet. And um, she's kind of obsessed with this assassin and it's like almost sexual her attraction, but to call it sexual kind of undermines Mm -hmm. what's actually going on. It's, it's, it's very, I don't know, like as a woman who really likes true crime stuff, I felt really connected to it because it's not, It's this intangible thing that you're fascinated by these things, but it doesn't mean you like them or you approve of them. It's it's a bizarre fascination. And what this show does is it takes that kind of fascination and like tangles it out into this really twisted tale of cat and mouse where 
both of these women are cat and mouse, honestly, because one is hunting for the other. And eventually when she finds out she's being hunted, the assassin starts hunting back. And it's really interesting and exciting, but also it's written by Phoebe Waller-Bridges, who uh, wrote Fleabag and starred in Fleabag, and also who is in Solo as the robot, which I won't say anything else about that because I know you guys are reviewing that next week. But uh, she's great, is the short answer. I wish she was on the show, too, because I'm just obsessed with her. But you can really feel her sensibility in the show because there's all this tension going on, but then there's these beautiful moments of character and levity where, you know, care like coworkers will just have be like taking the piss out of each other and stuff. And um, yeah, I ripped through most of the season yesterday and uh, I would have finished it tonight, but then I was like, we have the podcast. So I'm, I'm still <laughs> a couple episodes behind, but uh, it finishes up next Sunday and I'm really excited. I think it's a really thrilling series. And as I understand it, they already have a second season promised. Thank God. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And it's just incredible. Like Sandra O oh is amazing in the lead role. And it's really exciting to get to see her play a part like this that is so complicated and so weird. And, you know, the fact that she is an Asian woman has nothing to do with anything. She it's like it's part of her character, but it's not like, you know, it doesn't define mm-hmm. the character. So it's like I, I read an interview where she said when she got the script, she read the pilot and called her agent and said, yeah, but what role do yeah, they want? What, me what part is for me in this? Yeah. Right. And they were like the lead. And like, it just never occurred to her. Cause this is like, you know, that just, uh, it just, it doesn't tend to happen, but she's yeah. so good in it. And it's like exactly the kind of part where you're like, yes, this is why Sandra O needs more work. Cause this is amazing. Like she's nobody's sidekick. She's so good in this. But then conversely, Jodie Comer, who plays the assassin in the in the show, is her just, name is Villanelle, by the way. It yeah. takes a certain amount of chutzpah to really to really yeah. sell the villain. Well, it's like based on a comic or based yeah. on a novel, and it feels it but, feels like a novel thing. Like it's, yeah, yeah. It's but it's that, it's kind of great too. It's like this this great little flourish where they could yes. do that. But um, she's amazing because she has all these transformations when she goes to kill to kill and stuff like that. And like she's a very strikingly beautiful girl, but they managed to costume her in ways where you could also totally understand her being someone who would slide into a crowd. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just phenomenal. And her I'm, performances, I, she's shifting accents and shifting yeah. languages and the physicality is so impressive. But what she does too, like we've seen like this badass female assassin thing before, uh, but she plays the character as this like very competent assassin, but also like a petulant teenager sometimes too. And it's this really interesting combination of a character who's just like, Oh, you just don't know how to be human. You don't know how to be like an adult. And it's like, she is definitely a sociopath on a certain degree. And it's just fascinating to see her work. Basically. It's also really interesting because they, they, they introduce it more in the earlier episodes, but you watch her study people and figure out how people are supposed to act. Mm hmm. And uh, like the very first scene in the entire series is her watching a child eat ice cream and she tries to smile at the child and the child does not smile back. Yeah. And then someone else smiles at the child and she mimics that smile and the kid smiles back. And it's like immediately sets up this idea of her like trying to like learn how to acclimate. Mm-hmm. And it puts you on edge immediately because you want to be charmed by her. She is this beautiful woman who is smiling at us, right? But at the same time, there's just something off. She's gonna kill you. She's gonna kill you right. the moment she, you know, the first moment she gets. I think for me, there's like a moment in the first episode where Sandra O oh is talking about how this man was assassinated, and she was, she's like, they stabbed him in the femoral artery in his leg, and he didn't even realize until a couple of minutes later he had been stabbed, and. She is sitting at home and looking up online where the femoral artery is. And she's like putting a kitchen knife to her own leg, just kind of trying to figure it out. And it's like it's it's extreme. But it was also like 
I don't know. I thought like, okay, I want to go on this ride because it felt like, like I said, like it feels like if you Mm -hmm. have a true crime obsession, this goes, I got you, but we're going to go further. And I just think it's a really thrilling and very interesting and weirdly funny show. Yeah. It's like if heat were sometimes funny and some (laughs) like, like, yeah, it's sort of like a comedy and sort of like a great family story at times too. Like, yeah, Yeah. it is many things. Cool. Um, Well, that's killing Eve. And it's available on BBC America, and it is on my to-watch list, uh, so I, I've heard great things about it. I don't know if I'll have time to get around to it, but uh, it's definitely something yeah. that I will try to make happen. Um, yeah, duck spoilers, and then keep catch up on it when you can, because I, I think it'll, you know, it's I, it's actually really fun to binge, because, like, sometimes it ends on a cliffhanger, and I hate cliffhanger episodes. So, it's like less Westworld, I just go through. Is there an easy way to watch it? Uh, I mean, I bought it on iTunes. It was I, like, iTunes, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, I, uh, that was, I, I think it's available on YouTube TV, which is something I, I I'm sharing a family subscription on. Well, yeah, because that has the channel. So yeah. if you, yeah, if you subscribe if you to Sling or whatever, login, yeah. it's all on BBC America's website. But I don't. I'm a cord cutter, so I don't yeah. have all that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, again, it's Killing Eve and uh, Christy. I think you've been watching one other thing, right? I have. Um, so coming out this week is How to Talk to Girls at Parties which is based on a uh, Neil Gaiman uh, short story. But uh, John Cameron Mitchell and screenwriter Philippa Goslett went real different direction (laughs) with it. Like the original short story is neat and it's basically about a boy who goes to a party and meets an alien girl. Uh, And this takes that basic concept and spins it into like the idea of chakras and the idea of like punk rock and who are we as teenagers and, and how the sexes do seem impossible. And it takes on a lot. Uh, But yeah, this boy and his two friends, uh, break into this like cool party and everyone is seems impossibly cooler than they are. And then they eventually realize that they are surrounded by a bunch of aliens. Um, and it stars Nicole Kidman as this like over the hill punk goddess who like knew all of, you know, she's like, I knew Johnny Rodden. I knew them, but like they all got famous and she's still kind of stuck in this shitty little town. Uh, and then like, <laughs> You know, uh, Elle Fanning plays an alien. Ruth Wilson plays an alien. It's a very... I mean, if you know John Cameron Mitchell stuff, he did um, Hedwig and the Angry Inch. And it's like, mm-hmm. I I wanted it to feel like that. I wanted it to feel like rock and roll had some built how been contained. And like, when you watch Hedwig and the Angry Inch, it feels like live music is being created in front of you. It feels kinetic and spontaneous and exciting. And how to talk to girls at parties feels cute. Um, which was a bummer. It's not that it's bad. It's just, it feels more nostalgic than like urgent. And Mm. it's like the way they talk about punk music makes punk music sound cute. And like, it's just the music of teenage rebellion instead of the music of revolution, which is weird because the plot is very much more about revolution. But, um, it, I don't know. It's like, it seems like they took this concept and had this big idea, but then it just becomes this kind of manic pixie dream girl story where, you know, he like teaches her about punk and she teaches him about like the universe. And I don't know, it's parts of it are quite charming, but it's a very weird movie that like, 
I'm glad I saw, but I also just wanted to be more rattled by. Sounds like it was a bit of a letdown, and that's a bummer. Uh, but yeah, this movie is clocking in at 39% Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, sounds like Ouch. a lot of critics uh, agreed with you, Christy. Um, but the movie is How to Talk to Girls at Parties. It's an A24 release. Uh, I assume it's out in limited release right now. Is that right? It's going to open Friday. Oh, it's going to open Friday. Okay, cool. All right, let's move on to our next segment, The Slash Film Court. The Slash Film Court, for those who don't know, is the quasi-weekly, quasi-monthly segment uh, where we adjudicate your movie-related dilemmas. We haven't done one in a while, so I thought, hey, folks, let's put one together today. This one's a classic. This one's, you know, we all know, we are all going to know. Actually, we might have different answers for this. Maybe. We'll see. We'll see. Um, But you can always email us your film-related dilemmas at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. And uh, I I really like this one because I think it gets to the heart of what the Slash Filmcast is all about. This one comes in from Jenna B. from Albuquerque, New Mexico, who writes in, Hello, Slash Filmcasters. I'm currently sitting in the theater waiting for the premiere of Avengers Infinity War with my husband and two friends. We came to the theater early to get the best seats and thus ended up sitting in the theater chatting for over an hour. As the theater starts to fill up, the conversation turned to Westworld, of which we are all huge fans. My husband and our friends started chatting about their theories and spoiling major plot details from season one of Westworld. Please also note that my husband and one of our friends are teachers and have very good vocal projection. <laughs> I'm starting to worry that the people around us are being spoiled. My husband brushes this off as being paranoid and said, if they haven't seen it yet, then they'll have no idea what we're talking about. So I ask you to lay it on your judgment, Slash from Cast. Is it okay to talk loudly about spoilers for a show that is over a year old in a theater where over 100 people are trapped with you? <laughs> on one hand, we are in public and have the right to have a conversation about our shared experiences. On the other hand, everyone around us showed up early to get great seats and have no choice but to sit there and bear the spoilers. My favorite part of this is imagining... Uh, the vocal projection happening when she says, honey, people might be hearing, don't worry. If they don't know, if they haven't listened, they won't know what we're talking about. Yes, <laughs> precisely. That's a very good impression of uh, of this listener, this uh, writer. This husband, is actually sure. Jeff's wife writing yeah, in. Exactly. That's the yeah. problem. So, Tip of the tongue to the top of the teeth. So I will t- say what I think about Westworld. So I was in line for uh, A Quiet Place the other day. And uh, so I I sometimes go see movies at our local theater, the Admiral Theater uh, in West Seattle. And it's a very small theater. It's like very tiny. The uh, sound and video quality is adequate. Uh, It's enough for me to go see like an action film there and not feel let down. So uh, but there's big lines like the, the way they process people is very inefficient. And so there's huge lines, people waiting in line to buy tickets, people with art who already have tickets waiting in line to get in. And all of a sudden, a, uh, a f- like the, they let out Avengers Infinity War. So like Avengers Infinity War, all these people streaming out as I'm waiting in line. And uh, they're talking about the plot. And this father mm. is with his family. And they're talking about the plot of Infinity War. And, and, uh, and as they start getting more into, de- in detail, uh, into detail, the father says to his kids, wait, kids, remember what I told you 
um, wait until we're out of earshot of the theater to talk about it, right? Oh, that's, that's great. I, just, I, that I literally just was like, thank you, sir. I like, stepped out of line and I said, thank you, Did sir. Did you start slow <laughs> clapping? We had a, like yeah, we start had, the slow clap. We, we had a little, mo- <laughs> like, we had a moment where we had the eye contact and I acknowledged him and he understood that I was acknowledging him. <laughs> it was brilliant. And that's y- very good. Another, I'll just tell one other brief story. I was in an elevator and I got in an elevator at work. And again, Avengers Infinity War came up. I was talking with a friend, and uh, this um, those same kids walked into the <laughs> elevator. <laughs> no, it was this other woman was in the elevator with us, and he was like, "So, what do you think about Avengers Infinity War? Like, how about that ending?" Huh? I'm like, and then I was about to get into it, but then before I did, I said, uh, "Hey, actually, you random stranger, do you care about the ending of Avengers Infinity War?" And she said, "Actually, I do care. I haven't seen it yet, and I was going to yeah, plug my ears go. if you started talking about it." Yeah, and I'm like, "Oh, well, then we shouldn't talk about it in the theater, uh, in the elevator, I should say." Yeah, and I'll be considerate and, and shut that Good down um, so uh, these two anecdotes are just to illustrate that you never know what situation people are in right and you should always assume that people around you don't want to be spoiled and not be considerate so your husband's a terrible person uh, that is my <laughs> ruling uh, although I mean the, they were talking about what last year last yeah. year's Westworld, Westworld. Were... yeah I mean <laughs> to, to be fair guys you were talking about Avengers like it, it just came out you know, that yeah. thing is still still warm. Uh, the spoilers are still hot and fresh. Uh, Westworld, that's that's been out of the fridge. I, I don't know. It's so cold. It's stale. Season one, at least. If they were talking season two, I think it would be a bigger problem. I, I think it would be like, More yes, you definitely class. should shut up. Um, season one, at one point, can you just talk to people about, you know, pop culture which is what we started this whole podcast to do. Right. Um, it does feel like spoiler. It's interesting. Like spoiler culture has taught us to quiet down and be respectful of all those things. And that's great. Um, I think a year for something like Westworld, if you, if you have not seen it in a year, I don't know. I don't know well, if think, like, yeah. I think her argument though, is the fact that like, yeah, it's been a year, but these people don't have any, like they can't walk away. You know what I mean? Right, right. Yeah, like, it's that's true. It's true. Yeah, it's interesting. So my husband uh, has this rule that he pulled from theater. You guys have ever heard of the third, the three block rule? Mm-mm. Jeff Kanata. Okay, I have not. Uh, so in New York, uh, oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. To... No, I know what you're talking about. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. in New York, if you go to a show, you don't say anything negative about it until you get three blocks away, blocks mm. away from huh. the theater, because you don't know who's going to be near you. It might be a cast member's family, whatever. You don't want to be disrespectful. So you kind of keep your mouth shut. Now, my husband has extended this to movie theaters. This is Mm. how he behaves with spoilers. And in the case of movies that have just come out, he also extends it to the subway. Because as he points Mm -hmm. out, we are in a tube and other people (laughs) cannot get away from us. And he would never say this. But also his wife is kind of (laughs) loud. So... Um, I, I I understand this this dilemma. Um, and I met like when we went to go see Infinity War, we saw it opening weekend. Like it was already out, and then I was so excited to talk to him about it. And I was like, we get on the train, and I was like, okay, so what did you do? And he just gave me this look, and I was like, well, we can whisper. We literally stood whispering like eleven yeah. year olds because yeah. he like refused because he was like, we don't know who's on the train, hasn't seen it, and who wants good to? Man, and I was like, Zach. yes, That's yeah, he's a better dude. person than Not I am. Not all heroes wear capes. Not all heroes wear yeah. capes. Yeah, and, and so I, I hear that like nine out of ten subway cars in New York has a Mark Ruffalo on it. 
<laughs> not mine Gyllenhaal. yet. It's very Everyone. infuriating. I'm waiting that it's like him and Jake Gyllenhaal all over the subways, <laughs> but never mind. Yeah. But um, no, I I totally understand her dilemma in this situation. I can totally understand because it's been a year. But I think it is an hour before the movie, and you have people that like. If you're going to see Infinity War, you might very well want to see Westworld and maybe haven't caught up yet. I just, I feel like it's okay to talk about it if you keep your voice down. That's yeah. the part yes. that makes me like, you kind of have to have a trade off. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I have two things. First of all, <laughs> uh, the thing that's shocking to me is how egregious this is with film critics because invariably the movie screening film critic movie screenings that I go to, which almost always I go to by myself because my wife is home with the kids and I have to go to the screening. So I am sitting alone. And because anytime I buy a ticket to a movie, I buy an assigned seat because that's what you can do in Los Angeles. You don't have to show up. You can show up right before it's great, but critic screenings, there's no such thing as assigned seats. So you got to get there early. So I always get there absurdly early I'm sitting in the theater because I want to have a good seat. And invariably, multiple people around me are like, so what other screenings have you seen this week? <laughs> oh, well, I just saw the solo. What would you think of it? And I'm like, my yeah, solo screening yeah. is in two hours after this movie. <laughs> I'm literally going to see solo they after this. They should know better. I mean, yeah, yeah, no, that is your job. Always that is like a specific yeah. kind of bragging that happens yeah. at those screenings where you're really just being like, I saw this movie before you yeah. did. And yeah, there's always those people. Oh, it drives me insane. So <laughs> uh, that that is one thing. And the other thing which you guys were kind of touching on is something I've ranted about on this show before. <laughs> I don't understand. It doesn't even matter what you're talking about. You can talk about your popcorn flavoring. You can talk about whatever you want. Why are you talking full throat in a movie theater? Uh There is – we are sitting in a room with a bunch of strangers. Talk (laughs) sotto voce. Talk (laughs) – lean over to your friend and talk with respect to the fact that 400 people don't want to hear you. I don't want to hear your story about the fight you got into with your mom. I don't want to hear anything from you. I'm here with my – I'm here either by myself and I don't want to hear anything. I just want to live in my silence for 20 minutes before this movie. Or I'm with a friend or or loved one and we want to not listen into your conversation. Don't talk like there's like you're in an empty room. Don't talk like you have like you're not sitting directly next to the person that you're that's listening to you. You don't have to talk so the whole room can hear you. What is wrong with people? There's that. All right. It, it all is right. ridiculous. This is why I walk around everywhere with just like headphones around my neck too. Like that is very helpful for those situations when you just you're in, you're waiting for a screen to start or something, and people just won't shut up. So you, you plug in, listen to something else. Don't listen to anything at all. Just plug it in. You know. Yeah. I got, I will do I got that noise canceling headphones. Recently. Yeah. All right. So, noise canceling, nice portable ones. Uh, those would help. Just you just put the noise canceling headphones on with nothing playing in them. You could do that. It's great. Yeah, yeah it just get the great. noise canceling on and yeah. and and yeah, walk, walk around why the city. The, why is the responsibility on me? It's <laughs> not. But, I don't you know. I don't. Yeah, things are crazy. And yeah. also, like I know Jeff, like you're also more spoiler adverse than most right now. So if you really want to like shield yourself from any potential like spoilage, like th- this is the way to go. Oh, I plug my ears and then make eye contact. (laughs) I I don't actually do that. I'm just kidding. But uh, I do. I do sometimes start start humming to myself to to try to avoid it. And then you're the guy humming in the theater. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I think uh, what I'm hearing, if if I may summarize, is from basically everyone is that, hey, uh, just be careful. Like you're you're, basically your husband's wrong. 
Okay, uh, whoever wrote into us, your husband's wrong. Uh, Jenna from Albuquerque. And yeah, we're sorry about your divorce, but y- yeah, um, your, your husband's wrong. And you're mandating. You, we're mandating a divorce for you. <laughs> you should assume that everyone around you wants to see Westworld and just is literally about to watch it tomorrow, and they haven't caught up yet, uh, and just you know behave accordingly. So, but it doesn't matter what you're talking about. Just have respect for other people. No one wants to hear your story about the weird thing you just had surgery. Nobody wants to hear anything from you. Just well, be quiet. I mean, you know, Jeff. <laughs> you know, maybe I'm. Maybe I like eavesdropping. You never know. You never know. Yeah. Okay. But there, yeah, there I go. agreed. If you're going to drop spoiler, like a drive-by spoiling is a complete, really unpleasant yes. experience, and like just try to spare people that. So, yeah. Uh, thanks to Jennifer for writing in. Uh, you can always write in with your dilemmas at slashfilmcast at gmail dot com. Uh, before we move on, I want to thank all the people that donated to the podcast this week. Thanks to Ben from Denton, Texas, Andrew and Polly, Ben from West Virginia for your contributions. Thanks also to new subscribers, Eric, Lalana, and Thomas Willis, uh, or Willis? Uh, Willis? Anyway, thank you for uh, contributing at the rate of $2 per month. If you want to support the Slash Filmcast and help us defray the cost of seeing films, uh, go to slashfilm.com, click on the Slash Filmcast tab, use the PayPal links on the side of the page. You can also go to paypal.me slash filmcast. That's paypal.me slash and then the word filmcast. We really appreciate it when you contribute to this <laughs> podcast. It really helps us out a lot. Uh, but let's get to our review of Deadpool 2. Actually, that may have been me. Oh, you're living the dreams, DP. Yeah. Devil may care attitude. <laughs> Strong thighs. Beautiful girlfriend. Sorry I'm late. I was rounding up all the gluten in the world and launching into space where it can't not hurt us ever again. Kiss me like you miss me, Red. That was from the trailer for Deadpool 2, uh, the newest Fox film uh, that relates to a Marvel superhero slash X-Man. This film was directed by David Litch, and it stars Ryan Reynolds as Deadpool, Marina Baccarin as Vanessa, and Josh Brolin as Cable. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. Foul-mouthed mutant mercenary Wade Wilson, a.k.a. Deadpool, brings together a team of fellow mutant rogues to protect a young boy with supernatural abilities from the brutal time-traveling cyborg Cable. Um, so I should also mention the uh, the gentleman who played the uh, young boy with powers. Um, Julian Dennison. Yes, thank you, Christy. Julian Dennison uh, is also in this movie. So, Christy Puchko. Gotta ask you this question. I mean, what did you think of Deadpool one? I don't, you know, uh, not sure I liked what your it. thoughts are. Yeah, and and uh, were you looking forward to this one? What do you think of Deadpool two? I uh, so I enjoyed Deadpool one. I was nervous about Deadpool two because to me, I was afraid it was going to be like Kingsman, where I really enjoyed Kingsman one. Mm-hmm. But then I thought part of what I enjoyed about this was the way it upended my expectations and parodied the genre, which Deadpool did as well. And I thought when I saw Kingsman 2, oh, you did the same thing again with a couple of flourishes. And so my fear was that there was no way Deadpool 2 was going to be able to satisfy that yen again. It did not. (laughs) I like things about it, but I have some major grievances. Mm. All right. Uh, shall we wait until spoilers to get into the grievances? Yeah, all right. <laughs> all stuff. sounds like a good plan. Uh, all right, how about you, Devinder Hardo? Your thoughts on Deadpool two? 
Yeah, so I, you know, I liked the original Deadpool, but I also felt like that movie was good for like the first 15 minutes and it just kind of kept going. You know, the best parts were, were the opening and like being introduced to this character in this crazy world. Uh, this movie feels more complete. This feels like a better directed and more focused film. Uh, I, I know exactly what Christy is probably going to bring up uh, among the, the many too. grievances. And it's definitely an issue that this film struggles with. Um, but at the same time, I don't think it's, uh, you know, I, I think the movie um, is a lot more thoughtful than other. <laughs> I, I can't even say until spoilers. I, I, I think it's just more thoughtful than people expect it to be uh it really goes for some emotional beats that i that hit me deeper than like uh some things in infinity war um the action is a lot of fun uh they have so much fun with this universe too so i have to say like you know um jeff i know you're a marvel zombie i feel like i'm more of an x-men zombie so these little nods to the x-men universe and just seeing like deadpool just like fuck with this this entire mythology in so many ways is a lot of fun. And I think it does it in really uh, in fun ways too. Like it's it's not as overbearing as the first movie because I think it modulates Deadpool's like zaniness and also like combines that with good action, great characters. Like there's a um, there's like a big mission, a big like uh, you know heist sequence or something that they've planned. Um, and it doesn't go like any superhero film or any action film that you've seen before. And I like those things. Like it clearly knows what it's doing and it knows that we, the audience are kind of tired of seeing the same old shit again and again. And it goes for something different. So I appreciate that. And uh, yeah, we get a lot to talk about in spoilers because uh, I like the way they clean up the timeline over here. <laughs> Jeff Kanata, take us through your thoughts on Deadpool too. Yeah. Um, I really loved the first Deadpool, like like I think all of us did. It it, it really felt like this fun breath of fresh air that was uh, skewering something that became that became very ubiquitous in the movie theaters. You know the the superhero genre, and it felt like this really cool subversive take on that. And like Christy, I was a little worried about it being repeatable. Um, and I definitely share your feelings, Christy, uh, with regard to Kingsman two, Kingsman was so great. And boy, was I let down by Kingsman two. Um, and I was very worried through the first, I don't know, third of this movie, because it really does not start strong right. in my right. opinion. I think the second half of Deadpool two is far better than the first half of it. And really that redeemed, redeemed the movie for me in a, in a large sense. I, I ended up having a lot of fun with Deadpool two it doesn't feel like the crazy breath of fresh air that the first one did. But then I guess kind of how could it? You know, mm -hmm. it, we had that fresh air and now we're just in that air, I guess. Um, but, you know, there used to be a time where we had movies like Naked Gun and Hot Shots, right. you know, and the Airplane. <laughs> I like how and you're fondly looking back at like Hot Shots of all right. things. I mean, it, they, were dumb, <laughs> they were dumb movies, but they were – I loved them, and it, right, yeah. probably because I was of an age that they were, you know, directly my sensibility as a, you know, yeah. like a twelve-year-old doofus. I watched um, Hot Shots Part Two too many times. Yeah, too many times. I watched those obsessively. Yeah, the Naked yeah. movies especially over and over. And those jokes, and like you know, you're a kid, you memorize those jokes. You know, mm -hmm. they're like become part of your comic sensibility as a as a preteen. And while this is a rated R movie, it has that sensibility, and it has that sensibility in skewering movies that I think are the big blockbusters of the day. In the way that Hot Shots was skewering Rambo and etc. 
Um, so we don't really have those kinds of movies anymore. And it's cool that Deadpool is just yeah. doing that, you know? But yeah. I also agree with you, Devendra, that I was really surprised that this movie took on a more serious, kind of heartfelt, honest uh, attempt at telling a, a story. And yeah, I was. It's about hashtag family guys. And I yeah. love it. But I was even more surprised how successfully it managed to do that. And and like mm-hmm. you, I kind of got a little wispy by the end. And or I'm not putting that on you. I mean, but <laughs> I enjoyed that, and I I got a little wispy at the end. And it it um, I was surprised at how well that worked. I, I didn't think it worked in the first first half, which really lays in heavily on that side of it, and feels really slow. And it it, it takes a long time for the wheels get churning on this movie. But once they do, and like you said, this that that amazing. Uh, heist sequence there this movie squarely takes on the ribe the rob liefeld <laughs> ification of the x-men and does so so hilariously and yeah. so so irreverently that uh i've laughed a heck of a lot i mean the fact that you have well, i don't know the fact that there are characters in this movie a uh, spoiler maybe let's they are. uh yeah, 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 yeah. Let's, let's, let's i will say this <laughs> do not if you're if you haven't seen Deadpool 2 yet and you don't want spoilers don't look at the IMDb page because yeah. literally yeah, the cast they're is all just, over. Like yeah. secret cameos are on the first page. Yeah, it's really unfortunate. Um, but I had a lot of fun. I ended up having a lot of fun with it. I don't think it's as good a movie as the first one uh, or as, as a consistent a movie perhaps as the first one. But I think ultimately the second half won me over in such a big way that I think it's going to be a crowd pleaser. And it's just funny. It's it's funny and dumb and and, and smart at the same mm-hmm. time. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's totally fine. Deadpool 2. It's, it's totally acceptable. Um, it's it's funny, but I think where it falls flat for me is uh, it tries to be a, a quote unquote real movie. You know, it, it, unlike the first one, I didn't. I felt like the first one was kind of like a, an origin story that introduced Deadpool and had uh, a couple of follow up action scenes, basically, and th- that's it. And it was it mostly coasted on its uh, on its attitude and its humor and its style, and and uh, that was completely enough for that movie to break out in a big way. Uh, and Deadpool 2 tries to drape all that uh, over a, a real movie, the, the sort of trappings of, of a legitimate film with a, with a story arc and a, a big plot line that you're... Yeah, how dare it, Dave. Well, I'm yeah. just saying, I don't think it... I think it... Well, I, I think it makes for a really odd pairing. I think it, like, sure. it's, it's making fun of all these uh, tropes from superhero films and ultimately... It, it it becomes the thing that it's making fun of. You know, um, the first one was a fairly generic superhero film, and this one is also a fairly generic superhero film And in terms of the plot. And uh, I think that kind of... It, it It's odd to have a tone that's very irreverent, but then also they want you to feel really invested, and I, I just didn't feel like those things jived super well for me. Let me ask you this question, though, before we move to spoilers. Jeff Kanata, I think... Uh, you're probably most familiar with the the comics. Like to me, it feels like Deadpool is at his best when he's like a side character, right? When he's kind of commenting on all. Like I could see a movie that's like the X Men, where it's like an earnest plot, but where there's this Deadpool character who's breaking the fourth wall and commenting every now and then. Um, and it feels like much weirder to have him be the center of the storyline. And I'm cu- curious, like, what your experience has been with Deadpool in the comics. Well, he has had uh, his own comic um, mm-hmm. numerous times, and yeah. is 
and I think he plays like the uh, the sidekick in his own stories a lot of in a lot of ways. Like he's he's wink wink nudge nudge commenting on the thing you're watching even as he's starring in it. So I think I for my money they pull that off pretty well in the mm-hmm. sense that he he feels like this also ran in a universe that is larger than he, but somehow you know he, he's alongside it going this is crazy isn't this universe crazy oh by the way this is my story but isn't this universe crazy i, mm-hmm. I think they managed to pull that that off pretty well gotcha okay all right uh well lots to talk about in spoilers so let's dive into it uh but o- overall it sounds like we thought it was pretty enjoyable uh with some pretty significant caveats uh let's dive into spoilers for deadpool 2 starting right now now you're looking for the secret I'm trying to see this coming no. But you won't find it because, of course... You're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret name. You want to be fooled. I thought the marketing head fake was fairly brilliant, right? In this... So, Jeff, you don't watch trailers, but if you did, you would have seen that the trailers basically make it seem like X-Force is going to be this huge deal in this film. Right. So that's so smart of them to do. Yeah. And they actually filmed extra scenes for the trailer that they purposely knew would never make it into the film. Like yeah. They I, love filmed, I love that. They filmed scenes that they like, and, and uh, they made it seem like X Force is going to be this huge factor and like that, that's what this movie is going to be about. And then, of course, they kill off X Force within like three minutes of you meeting them. And <laughs> so, in the so most funny. graphic and brutal ways possible. And it is amazing and funny and subversive, and uh, I thought it was delightful. So, uh, I think I could do I could do probably a two hour podcast just on Shatterstar because mm-hmm. uh, he sucks. He does suck, and I love uh, that this movie understands that. And the it's fact great. that they put him in the ridiculous Rob Liefeld uh, padded face thing <laughs> that Rob somehow wants to always draw on people uh, is so great, and he gives him the, the enormous. Uh, impractical ponytail. Yeah, uh, it is, and, and how he—they just punks out. I loved it. I loved how <laughs> irreverent it was with all that, and the fact that they cast, you know, like recognizable people to, uh, you know, uh, to be those those some of those parts. Terry Crews, for example. Brad, um, P- Brad Pitt plays the Vanisher. Yeah. Well, I mean that that's a great gag and a great yeah. reveal. Half but a second. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I loved how they handled X Force. I thought it was. I thought it was the best part of the entire movie for me. Yeah, I did too. I yeah. thought that was a really that whole sequence that like from when they jump off the gangplank to like the rescue and the whole deal. I thought that was all really great. I think it's the best part of the movie. We should also say I think Domino wins MVP of this film for me. I mean. She's- uh, not only yeah. is uh, she an amazing presence, but also the idea of a superhero whose skill is luck. Uh, yeah. I thought was really well, like brought to life in a. In a Dave, just... let me let me tell you, I have dreamed about this moment for so long, <laughs> uh-huh. like just reading X Men comics, like because, like as they say in the movie, that's not cinematic. <laughs> <laughs> they have a whole argument about that? it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but first of all, um, Zazie Beats from uh, Atlanta is fantastic in yep. this role. She just fully embodies mm-hmm. the character. But yeah, they do such a great job of like setting up like what just, just kind of how you would envision her character and her power. So, she, you know, so much props to that. And I love that she is one of the surviving members because I want to see more of this character. Yeah, yeah she she's from the show Atlanta. <laughs> yeah, yeah. like you're like, Zazie Beats from Atlanta, you know? <laughs> well, that's why I'm talking about Atlanta. But yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
All right. Yeah, Christy. I thought she was great, and I think she's a good mm-hmm. parody, or not parody, but foil to Deadpool and his energy. Like from the moment they fight about whether luck is a superpower, and then all of her action sequences, they kind of feel like James Bond movies and stuff because like mm-hmm. Bond does stuff that you're like, okay, but really though, and it's just like, she's, like it's just she gets to smirk and be like, yeah, because luck, deal with it. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's, and I to- all it's that totally was as like it's totally comparable to some of the stuff that. Particularly the later Pierce Brosnan Bond does, you know, like (laughs) really insane stuff. Yeah. Within the context of the movie, it makes sense because it feels like a parody of action scenes in these movies where you're like, wait, like even even as much as I want to suspend my disbelief, can we? And like, I thought that was all very fun. I think she's brilliantly cast. I thought she was great. Yeah, I have the biggest crush on Zazie Beats, but uh, I also thought the character of Peter was so yeah. wonderful with Rob Delaney playing Peter. Yeah. Oh, that's just inspired <laughs> that idea of just like we get the team together and also a regular guy is going to yeah. be. I like how nobody, yeah, I was like, oh, we're going to jump from a plane? Like, no one's <laughs> so like saying good. no. <laughs> They're just going along. <laughs> so funny. All right, Christy, I think you have some thoughts on this film that I, I'm pretty sure I will agree with. So you, you had some critiques that you uh, wanted to bring up in spoiler section, right? Yeah, I hate they killed Vanessa. I hate it. I fucking yeah. hate it. I don't <laughs> care that they undo it at the end. I hate it. Um, because uh, she, I, like, I feel like in superhero movies, as much as I enjoy watching them, often what feels flat is the romantic relationship. Mm-hmm. And in Deadpool... I believed that Wade and Vanessa were in yeah. each other. I believed yeah. that they loved each other, that they liked each other, and that they wanted to have sex with each other. It all felt very authentic and so fun and so alive. And it made the stakes of that movie feel really important. So then when she shows up in this and she's like, I want to have your baby. I'm like, no, because <laughs> it, it's that moment in every war movie where the guy's yeah. like, I got a great girl back home. Here's yeah. a picture of her. It's my and last day. I'm ready to ship back home or whatever. <laughs> right. It's my last day on the week. job. <laughs> exactly. Retirement's just around the corner. It's that thing. And I was like, no, 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 no. And then, yeah, she gets shot and, I hated it. I hated it. I hated it. I hated it. And I um, understand the arguments that Rhett Reese and Paul Warnick have made about why they did that. And storytelling wise, it makes sense. You have to take something away from him. So he has to rebuild himself. Yada, yada. I get it. But on one level, it killed this central relationship that I cared a lot about. And I frankly am in mourning for a huge section of the movie where I'm just kind of numb to what's going on because uh, what is this now? What have you done? And I get that they try to have fun with it by having that musical number where they do the Bond style credits where Deadpool is like the sexy lady. And I think it is inspired that it's a Celine Dion song. I think that's really <laughs> smart, but yeah. I, it still hurts. I'm still mad. And yeah. like I wasn't able to have fun with this movie until it gets to like the sequence with the, the X-Force kicks into gear. And that's a long time. So for a huge stint of this movie, it's just not working for me because I'm just bummed. <laughs> and I feel like they totally didn't read the room on that. And um, I wanted to think that they were trying to do something more clever than that tired fridging trope, which we all know what fridging is, or should I explain? Yeah, please explain fridging yeah. for those who might not. Okay, so fridging is a uh, Gail Simone originally referred to women in refrigerators. It refers back to a Green Lantern comic from the 90s where uh, Green Lantern's girlfriend was killed by a villain and put in a fridge, literally. And it's effectively what it means is when you take a female character and she solely exists in a story so that she can be either tortured or raped or killed so that the male hero can feel bad about it. And Vanessa was a very important figure in the first movie. And in this movie, she exists to be sexy, say she wants a baby and die. 
And like, yes, she comes back in flashbacks or whatever, but like mm-hmm. she exists so that Deadpool has feelings. She doesn't exist as a character unto herself. And like, it's just very frustrating. And then it's like Cable's wife and daughter are only introduced to die. So it's just very frustrating that they played into like one of the most frustrating comic tropes there is. And they did an interview with Vulture where they said that they didn't know that was even a thing. Yeah. French Fridging was not a word they had heard before. And that made me really furious because while we wrote about it for Bajiba and some of our readers were like, well, I've never heard of that word. And it's like, that's fine. You're not someone who's being paid an insane amount of money to write a comic book movie that is supposed to subvert these right. tired tropes. Right. Like they yeah. should know better. So yeah, that's that very frustrating. That they- they didn't make fun of it. I mean, they were playing it honestly. Uh, that that part of the movie is legit and trying to be uh, heartfelt. Is it's there's no gag about that trope. It is just we're using that for our plot. That's but it's the whole that's the whole joke afterwards is like all mm-hmm. the credits afterwards are like you didn't seriously just kill her like they they kind of try right. to make light of it right away while still owning that this is a heart harrowing thing where like now Deadpool literally wants to kill himself. It's just. I couldn't get on board and I it just it didn't make it fun for me. Yeah. And then I don't know, I had a hard time getting into it. And like I really like Julian Dennison and Hunt for the Wilder People. So I was like, I kept trying to kind of re-engage because I wanted to enjoy this movie. But it's like it felt like it just kept being like, I'm not gonna be the thing you want. And like I was really struggling. Like, you know, I was really excited to see Negasonic Teenage Warhead again, but she gets nothing to do really. Like she she's gets kind less of to do in this film than the first film. Right. And so that's frustrating. It just felt like they they are trying to do so many things in this movie because they're trying to do the Deadpool story. They're trying to bring in Cable. They're trying to set up X-Force. They need to get rid of Vanessa. They need to create this redemption. There's so much going on that I felt like I, I was missing out on these emotional beats because they're just cramming it all in. Uh, so that was very vexing. And also at some point I was just like, oh, this is just Looper. Like it's it's Deadpool plugged into <laughs> yeah. Looper. Basically, yeah, yeah, yeah. basically. It is funny that uh, this movie is directed by David Leach, uh, who did uh, Atomic Blonde. And the thrust of that movie is her guy is killed and she has to go like solve, you know, figure out what happened there. Um, I hear you, Christy. I totally hear like everything you're saying, too, because it is an annoying and tired trope. Uh, I love Marina Baccarin as an actress, um, like ever since Firefly. And I feel like she should be a bigger star and I, she should be a bigger presence in these movies. Uh, something that annoyed me from the first movie, though, is that as great as their relationship was, I feel like that movie basically, you know, she was the damsel in distress, like talking about tired tropes, like, you know, the yeah, whole the whole thing of the first movie is him saving her. Um, and the end, like, I believe, like, you know, she had a role in saving herself, too. And that was great. Um, but I would mostly... even go farther than that, Davidra. Mm-hmm. I would say in the first movie, like I agree with you what you guys are saying about this movie with regard to Vanessa. But I, I felt like in the first movie she was also basically just his best fantasy. Like she, right, everything right. that Deadpool would want, she was, and nothing more. Like she, she needed nothing from him other than to be exactly what he wanted. Well, I and really I... like their relationship though because it is. Yes, she was definitely the dream girl, but also it's Marina background. Um, The way they wrote her and the chemistry between them, I think, really sold it, even Mm -hmm. though like she as a character in the first movie existed to be like this perfect, you know, the perfect girl for him and the one that he had to save. Uh, at the same time, like we saw him giving a little too, like a uh, just what they do, their sex play in the first right. movie is something you never see really in movies like this, and honestly, in movies in America in general. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I was really bummed to see her go. And Raquel, you know, my wife was sitting right next to me, and she was really sad too because she also loves Marina Baccarin. Um At the very least, I think 
I'm glad the movie didn't like the credit sequences did like poke fun at like how you're feeling as an audience about what just happened. I don't think the movie truly made light of this thing because it is for that first half of the movie. It is like treating it seriously. And it is really interesting to see like a character like this be kind of beaten down at that point. But I, I see what you're saying too, Dave, like those jumping away, jumping between different tones is really jarring yeah, and really tough to swallow sometimes. It just didn't, the mix of tones just did not work yeah. for me. And, and it's particularly acute at the end of the film uh, when they have that big moment where Deadpool jumps in front of the bullet mm-hmm. and kind of, oh, and like you're supposed to believe that this moment like transforms the child on a, like into a completely different path. And, mm-hmm. I, you know, it just it's so silly. And it's fine that it's silly. It's fine that it's silly. It's very <laughs> enjoyable and humorous. I get it. But it's like, then don't expect me to really emotionally invest in this thing. Yeah. It didn't, what it didn't I'm work. Goes, for, it didn't work for me. Like I think I know it doesn't work for you. Yeah. And honestly, Dave, like I knowing your tastes, like I, I know that is the sort of thing that really yeah. gets your goat. Yep. You know, yep, just totally. in general. Totally. Uh, I, I, let, me, let me just put this out there, though. It's just that, like, yeah. I think if the ending had worked convention, like if, if stripping aside, stripping away the uh, meta commentary and the jokes, like if the ending had worked on a dramatic level, I think the movie would have been better. And I, you know, you can. Wait, what add... do you, what do you, so wait, now we're, we're moving beyond Vanessa. You're talking directly about the ending. Yeah, the, yeah, the, you know, him with saving Julian the kid Dennis and the, that character. And, you know, uh... that, that feels like a whole different conversation because I do think that that really worked for me. Okay, yeah, that, fair enough. You know, but yeah with, yeah, with regards to Vanessa, I, I completely agree with everything Christy said and yeah, is, is very yeah. upsetting. So <laughs> I see, I see, I totally see it, what yeah. you're saying. Uh, as for the ending, though, like that, that's the sort of thing I'm talking about. Like, I do think, like, it really sold. The fact that, you know, this is this is a truly selfless act. He put on the collar. He has no more powers. He's going to save the kid to show the kid that somebody would throw their lives away for him. Mm-hmm. And that it, by doing so would save the kid. That that felt something mm-hmm. uh, like uh, that made me feel something. I mean, um, it, he spent well, he spent like, what, five or ten minutes dying. Then they made fun of it. But also like it, it then Cable goes and does the thing where he uses his last shot, you know, to kind of reboot this sequence. And that, like, that kind of just drove it home for me. Like, we knew he wasn't really going to die, but, what you know, who's going to sacrifice what? And the fact that Cable, you know, this gruff Terminator guy from the future, um, gives up his one chance to go back home to do this. Like, that that all worked together for me, oh, at least. I, like I, it, I com- it feel completely the opposite. Like, none of I, that yeah. worked. None of that worked at all. I, I mean, but why, so none, why of it, none of it was, it was set it up. Just... Like, why does why does he have this sudden change of heart at the end? It's not, like, it's not explained at all. It's, it's played off as a joke. I don't mm-hmm. think it works at all. Christy, you had some thoughts as well, right? Yeah, like I I understand intellectually and story-wise why Russell has a change of heart at the end, but yeah. I feel like there are not enough moments between him and Deadpool Agreed, yes. to to feel that that to feel that relationship. Yep. Like I get that I understand because of the way they're paralleling the story is that you know Russell is the kid that he felt like when he was younger and if he had only had a positive role model and I get all that. Um, there's a lot of doubles for Deadpool in this because Cable's a double for Deadpool and Russell's a double for Deadpool. And I get it. Like, I understand the storytelling. I can understand the structure. But when it comes down to it, like, I I understood more why Russell was friends with the Juggernaut uh, than why he was friends with Deadpool. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, but genuinely. Agreed. agreed. Because, agreed like, 100%. Deadpool went from threatening him with, like, a gun to, like, shooting a guy. And then he's like, we're best friends. And I was like, I don't. 
uh, okay. Like, it just, it felt like a scene or something was missing. Like, I just didn't invest in their relationship the way I wanted to. I just feel like it's just, there's too much going on. And it, it leaves me to be like, I like parts of this movie, but as a whole, I did not find it as a satisfying. Mm-hmm. And further, like, you were talking about, like, the why did Cable make that choice at the end? And for just the way I'm reading it, um, it is is the thing like he noticed like uh, oh the the doll the rabbit doesn't have blood anymore so you saved your daughter you accomplished your goal, um, but like yeah this one act of like I don't know uh, selflessness of him to save this guy who helped him accomplish his goal I kind of buy I kind of bought that like they have this begrudging relationship by the end even though we spend so much of the movie of them literally you know trying to kill each other I I bought their banter and the you know their feelings toward each other by the end. But it's tough. Yeah, it's the sort of thing like if I, I can't tell you how to feel, basically, yeah. it made yeah. me feel the way that way. Yeah. But yeah, Christy, I think you and I are really like jiving in terms of our thoughts of this movie, like the <laughs> many aspects of it did not work for me, even though overall I did have a good time. Um, but let, let me bring it to more positive, right? And say that uh, two things that I really liked. First of all, um, I thought the whole design and execution of the cable character was really well done. Like so perfect, yeah. Like visually compelling and unlike anything we've seen in any other Marvel film. Which I I, I think like at the end of ten years of Marvel films and like nineteen movies, uh, it's like oh they've exhausted every visual idea, and th- this movie shows that nope they haven't. Like there's still interesting ways to spin it. I think mm-hmm. like Cable's arm looks better and more interesting than like Winter Soldier's <laughs> arm. You know what I mean? Like. I think um, I think just the way they brought that character to life was was really uh, well done. It's and, mainly yeah, Brolin, like Brolin and the graveliness and the way he sells the character too. Like it's yeah, and it's, it's we a very don't different performance like, than uh, yeah. Than, you never feel yeah. like you're you never feel like you're watching Thanos. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's very good. It's, it's very also good. like in a movie where you have a bunch of big burly dudes because there's Colossus and there's Cable and there's Juggernaut and like he he feels distinct. Like even the design, mm-hmm. like because you literally have a giant Iron Man in this movie. <laughs> but the design, like the cyborg design, still feels distinct and still feels of a different time. And I thought that that was all really well done. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the only other thing I just want to say is that uh, I'm very grateful that this movie exists. I think if uh, Marvel owned Deadpool, you know, this movie might never exist, you know, or it would be in a really different form. It wouldn't be sure. as irreverent, sure. it wouldn't take as many chances with the humor. And it's so interesting to see how different studios are doing different things with these Marvel characters and, and in completely yeah. different styles. And but we, we had this conversation around Deadpool. Yeah. It is an act of pure desperation from Fox, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, they like, fucked they up to X-Men so yeah. badly that, you know, okay, Logan was good. And the, like a dead, the success of Deadpool helped make Logan an R-rated movie and a thing. Mm-hmm. And that ended up being pretty big. Uh, but yeah, they, they destroyed the X-Men. Um, so this is, <laughs> this is times. part they of like, it for parts and like milked yeah, it dry. Is, it's, it is dead. Yeah, this is the chop shop of, <laughs> of, of the, uh, X-Men. Yeah. And, and I, I will say these are my favorite X-Men movies, <laughs> these two Deadpool movies, because why not have some fun with it then? You know, like if you, uh, what this juggernaut is, what the third version of Juggernaut we've seen in the so-called X-Men cinematic yeah. universe. Oh, I thought it was uh, the second, but I could be wrong. Yeah, I thought Vinnie I Jones was the first. Who, who was the aside from Vinnie Jones? Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah maybe it's only Vinnie two, Jones. but yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it, it certainly feels like who, what is even, I can't track where we are and who's what's what, who's what. And it doesn't, and like, that's what's I think enjoyable about it is that <laughs> this movie says it doesn't matter and let's just have fun. Well, and yeah. go ahead. 
I was just to the to the what what does it doesn't matter thing. That's actually something that really frustrates me because the other thing that the screenwriter said in the interview with Vulture is that like it doesn't matter that they killed Vanessa because they knew they could undo it in the end credits. And it's just like, cool, so this whole story doesn't matter. Like, it's just, I know it doesn't undo everything because Deadpool knows about Russell, so he could still go back and save Russell and stuff. But it just felt like kind of a fuck you to the audience. So, like, yeah, we know you endured all this, but, like, you know, finger snap, it's gone. Like, yeah. I just... That, well, hey, I, preview for the next Avengers movie, everybody. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put right. this out there. I'm going to put this out there, okay? Like... Avengers Infinity War, all right? I'm I'm not going to spoil this is an extremely uh-huh. minor spoiler that some characters die in Avengers Infinity War. I'm just, I'm not going to say any more than that. Uh-huh. And um I think that the next Avengers is going to deal with that in a much more thoughtful way than how this film Deadpool 2 de- dealt with the death of Vanessa. Like Well, yeah, but I I don't know. I I I'm I'm agreeing with you guys about Vanessa. I'm not disagreeing with you guys. I just I guess I <laughs> I'm approaching this much more like um, a movie like Airplane or, or right, you know, or right, right, Naked right. Gun, where it, it really, I, I guess I forgive it those trespasses more in the sense that it's just about setting up the next gag, and we're really just taking shots at at everything, and and I agree that it's very poorly handled with Vanessa. I think that it is clumsy and and. She's a character that com- completely gets sidelined for no good reason whatsoever. And like I said, the whole beginning of the movie where it just indulges in that and expects you to feel something about it is really feels slow and such mm-hmm. a slog. But I will say for some reason at the end when you see real Ryan Reynolds walk through that little you know Morphe v- v- force field, I felt something. I was like, oh, it's kind of it's kind of sweet. So I don't know. Maybe I'm being hypocritical here, but yeah. I, I do think the movie is is clumsy. I but I feel like the the fun I'm having along the way by the end makes up for it. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we can wrap it up there. Well, uh, a couple yeah. other things. Yeah. Just, just, okay. just want to mention real quick. Um, I do like the fact that this movie can play more with the X Men universe. Like they we we get like a brief shot of the X Men crew just saying, I, mm-hmm. I don't want to hang out with this guy. Like which <laughs> that is such a, a great moment like Great i, I want to know how they pulled that off if that is somehow <laughs> weird stock footage that they yeah. used no or, they talked yeah. about it they had to shoot them in different waves and stuff there's there's oh, an interview God. out there i forget which so one funny that's crazy and also like uh, come on we're not going to end this review without talking about the x-men origins wolverine scene yeah which i think like the fact that you know you say what you will about this movie i'm very glad it exists yeah just for that reason just to say like <laughs> no we're, well, the, we're we're not going to let this sit. Not yeah. even right. that. I think the the Green Lantern script moment is even more. Oh yeah, more that was great. Unbelievable. That was great too. But like just seeing Hugh Jackman back in this movie and seeing him like as the worst him in the worst Wolverine movie. I guess like it was. Yeah. I did not expect that. I did not expect that. that. I thought were great. The jokes yeah. that actually were like playing on something. What bummed me out were when it was just a reference, like when mm-hmm. he just calls him Thanos or when he like cites <laughs> what the Hulk says. I was like, that's not really a joke. You're just. You're just making the audience go. I know that reference, like yeah. But like that was a like really good, gi- well timed reference of uh, what uh, the sun is coming down or whatever. Oh, it's so yeah, funny. Yeah. It just, but like, like when it when it just felt like it's there to be like. It reminds me of like I went to a stand up comedy show once, and this mm-hmm. kid. The whole bit was that the MC was like in sixth grade, like he was literally a sixth grader, and he got up on stage and he goes, "Hey, everybody, remember the Spin Doctors?" And like the audience cheered, like, "Yeah, I remember the Spin Doctors." And he goes, "I wasn't alive when they were popular," and 
it made fun of us because you cheered for something that was not even a joke. And it's like, I think right. about that a lot whenever I'm like, oh, that's not a joke. That's just a reference. I'm just Family excited. Family Guy made a whole series out of that. <laughs> yeah. I, yes, Chris, I know. Chrissy, I'm not I, a fan. I, I, I would, yeah. I mean, uh, first of all, the, the image of you just sitting there hating that stand-up comic it does no, tickle I me a little bit. No, I he was brilliant, but then I was like, I am ashamed of myself because, yes, I just cheer. Like, oh, it would fill me with rage. I would be really pissed about it. So well, anybody cheering for the spin doctors, even when they were big, should fill you with rage. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, okay. Well, anyway, yeah, uh, Jeff, this is a, a another comic book question. Sorry to put you on the spot on this one, but like in, in X Men Origins Wolverine, and maybe Devinder Christie might know this too. Mm-hmm. Like the version of Deadpool that we got in that movie, which is a terrible version, was that like based on anything in the comics? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, it was yes. uh, the, yes. the, with the stitched the, up like, mouth and everything. Like, yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. Okay. He so, he has been in the similar way to the movies. He has been retconned in the comics. <laughs> he was sort of a serious character at first, and then he he became he became this irreverent fourth wall breaking character. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in the hands of of gifted writers whose names are escaping me at the moment, but I should look that up. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it, it started out as a serious, you know, in the era of antiheroes and dark. You know, everybody had to be dark you know dark was was code for good in 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 a few years there in the late 90s and um yeah it it definitely he morphed as well yeah so so it is based on something they didn't just like butcher it with but it it obviously doesn't play it it doesn't play to the character's strengths right correct yeah yeah Yeah. gotcha um yeah uh, it, was, it was pretty bad, and I'm glad. Like this, this I, I would argue that this movie actually does go a long way towards allowing us to put that version of Deadpool behind yeah. us. You know, yeah, bury the past, kill it if you have to. Yeah. Agreed. <laughs> Agreed. All right, folks, uh, let's wrap it up. Stay tuned to your OB reviewing next week. Hey, uh, wait a minute. I oh. I just want to point out. I just <laughs> laughed at something that was not a joke. It was just yep. a reference. Yeah. Sorry. I mean, it happens. It doesn't timing. mean it's a joke. It's yeah. about timing. That's, yeah. Like, I get it. I mean, I, I sat in an audience where people kept cheering every time there was a reference to any comic book thing. Right. And, like, sometimes it's genuinely funny. Like, when he makes fun of Cable and he's like, oh, my yeah. God, you're so dark. You belong in the DCEU. Like, that yeah. makes sense. That's actually a reference that is, like, a joke about something. It's so not good. just a reference. I, I will say that my biggest laugh of the movie was seeing Hugh Jackman's face. And the scene. <laughs> I know this scene. Oh God! <laughs> yeah. like that but was, again, like that's actually make like that's actually there's a purpose to that. Like I yeah. had no problem with those things. I don't have a problem with illusions, and I get that that's Deadpool's whole thing. But I got frustrated when I was like just sitting there and people were laughing. Like, but he just—it's just a quote. That's not even okay. Yeah. Like I don't know. I just felt like people yeah. were so excited that I—I I don't know. Again, I—I I like a lot about this movie, but I, I am conflicted. Was worse about that too, of just relying on like quotes and fun irreverency. So yeah, you know, I, I definitely agree. I mean, there's member berries, right? You know, you just, yeah. member berries aren't aren't jokes in and of themselves, but sometimes, like what Devinder just did, the juxtaposition of the reference with the situation is creating something new. Is creating a a a funny juxtaposition, but I don't, mm-hmm. it's debate for a different time. All right, folks, uh, stay tuned to your OB reviewing next week. Find more episodes of this podcast at slashfilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Our spoiler bumper comes from filmmaker Kyle Hillinger. Our slash film court music comes from simonmharris.com. And our theme song comes from adamwarrock.com. Christy Puchka, where can people find more of your work on the internet this week? 
I write every day at Bajiba.com. I can be found on Twitter at Christy Puchko, K-R-I-S-T-Y-P-U-C-H-K-O. And you can find career highlights at DecadentCriminals.com. And I've got some good Deadpool stuff up there and some other goodies that I've been working on. Very cool. Jeff Kanata, where can people find more of your work on the internet this week? You can always follow me on Twitter at Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T. I do a video game podcast called DLC that you can find at 5x5.tv slash dlc and i do a comedy science show which is uh 20 minutes long easy to listen to you probably learn something and we'll likely just make a reference uh <laughs> but i think they're, they're they're fun fun episodes check it out at wehaveconcerns.com and davindra hardware oh i'm on twitter at, at davindra and i read about tech at engadget.com Find me on Twitter at Dave Chensky, that's Dave Chen S-K-Y, and also on YouTube at youtube.com slash Dave Chensky, that's Dave Chen S-K-Y. Next week, we'll be reviewing Solo. I, I know that review will be completely uncontroversial, <laughs> and we won't get any bad feedback about that. So look yeah. forward to that, guys. Thanks for listening to the Slice Filmcast. We'll see you next week. The credits is done. We watched the-